From the Jewish Federation of Florida's Gulf Coast, this is the Parsha Pathways Podcast. Dive in to the weekly Torah portion led by rabbis local to Florida's Gulf Coast, Pinellas Pasco, and Hernando Counties. Participate live every Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time via Zoom. Visit jewishgulfcoast.org slash Parsha to learn more. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Fine, thank you. Excellent. So this is, you know, the Parshiot in Genesis, in Bereshit. The challenge is there is so much material that trying to focus ourselves into one concept or one topic is very, very challenging. We have the journey of Jacob, we have the journey of Joseph, we have these brothers that really don't know what to do with one another. Um, There is just such a tremendous amount of material. So I've been thinking in a couple different directions. Um, One is about tears and crying and loss. Another is uh, uh, about just Joseph's relationship. But I, I think what I'd like to look at, and we'll we'll start at the end and then go back. Um, so just as a, a, a before, to get to the end, a really fast summary of this Parsha is that Vayigash opens with Judah, you know, one of Jacob's sons begging him to say, look, we have to go to Egypt. We're gonna starve otherwise. We all need to go. And Jacob giving permission that Benjamin can go, Joseph seeing Benjamin and no longer being able to control himself and crying out and sharing with his brothers who he actually is. And what is the first thing that Joseph says is, I am Joseph, is my father still well? And they they don't understand it, they can't believe it. So we go through, they they make peace. Joseph said, it's all, you know, this was God's plan. It's okay. Um, Jacob finally comes and now, and they, they come together. They have this also the unification and then a, then a genealogy. Once we get genealogies, we know we're sort of done. Um, and then we get a reminder and one little more interplay between Joseph and his brothers. So let's, I'm gonna share my screen. So this is towards the end of the Parsha, almost the last chapter. Again, Joseph meets his father. And again, they are, there is weeping and tears. Come back. And I love this line of um, of Israel, of Jacob to his son. Now I can die, having seen for myself that you are still alive. And just you know, the the drama of this this moment, right? They haven't seen each other in you know more than a decade. Jacob, Israel thinks that his son is 
no longer of this earth. And not only is he alive, but he's great. And what is, you know, you, you, you can almost imagine like a, a grandparent, um, you know, pinching the cheeks and, and going, ah, oh, I can die now. You know, <laughs> I've seen it all. Everything's good. Um, and at that point, Joseph gives instructions to his brother. Um, and so if I can get someone to start reading over here on Genesis 46, 31. Don't all jump at once. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. Okay. Uh, then where are we reading? 31? Yeah, re 31, okay. and then we'll go down. Okay. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell the news to Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. The men are shepherds. They've always been breeders of livestock. And they brought with them their flocks and herds and all that is theirs. So when Pharaoh summons you to ask, what is your occupation? And <laughs> don't tell him you're shepherds. You shall answer your servants have been breeders of livestock from the start until now, both we and our fathers, so that you may stay in the land of Goshen, for all shepherds are abhorrent to Egyptians. So, of course, now... One might imagine, you know, they've just discovered that the brother they thought they killed is not dead, that he is still alive and he is saving their tuchases. He's giving them what they need at this moment of complete desperation. So you think the least they could do for him is he says, look, it's in all of our best interests if we follow the, you know, the customs of Egypt in this moment and, and massage the truth a little bit. Okay, lie to the Pharaoh <laughs> and say this, you know, don't just say that we're shepherds, but that we, you know, we've got an industry here. So what, of course, do they do? Richard, if you'll keep reading with chapter 47. Okay, then Joseph came and reported to Pharaoh, saying, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds have all, and all that is theirs, have come from the land of Canaan and are now in the garden region of Goshen. And selecting a few of his brothers, he presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? They answered, Pharaoh, we are servant, we your servants are shepherds, as were also our fathers. We have come, they told Pharaoh, to sojourn in this land, for there is no pasture for our servants, your servants' flocks, the famine being severe in the land of Canaan. Pray then, let your servants stay in the region of Goshen. Okay. Then so let's stop for a second. So what did they do? <laughs> they they told the truth that they are shepherds. So they told the truth. And they ignored Joseph's advice. They ignored his advice. So what do we, you know, we can interpret this a few different ways. Um, I'm curious before I share a couple of my thoughts, I'm curious, why did they do that? 
he's still their kid brother, even though he's very high up in the land of Egypt. Maybe that's the reason they still regard him as a kid brother rather than as the potentate he has become. So even in this position of great power, they remember where he is in the in family, the, the family. family hierarchy. And that comes first. Okay, that's one idea. Leslie? Yes, I was going to say the brothers have lied before. They lied to Jacob that Joseph was dead, and they have lied in the past to you know to Jacob. So they so they lied previously for their own well being, and this time, when Joseph is telling them what they need to do in order for their own well being, they don't lie. They tell the truth. <laughs> so. You know, could it be, you know, that they, you know, that they're just insulted that it may be in the Egyptian custom that being a shepherd is shameful, but in the Israeli community that being a shepherd is a, is a noble profession and, and, and they don't want to deny their identity. Richard? Yeah, I must be missing something because uh, I think uh, uh, chapter 46, the last few verses say that, tell them you're, you're, you're livestock people. You've been that way all your lives. And then they tell the same thing to Pharaoh. Am I, am I misreading? Well, it's the type of livestock people. It's, the type, oh. You know, if, you, if you are uh, you know, into animal husbandry, that's good. If you're just a shepherd, that's, that's no good. Handlers, maybe that's the word. Yeah, and and so I think it, it, it a lot of you know it's Joseph in a way maybe is trying to protect his status. He's this, you know, he's at the cream of the crop, and if these people come in and he tells them that you know tells Pharaoh these are my brothers and they're you know low status people, he's embarrassed by them a little bit here. I think you're right. You know, I'm just rereading this and saying, okay, they want to be handlers. So they get that approval from the Pharaoh. Okay, let them be handlers of my sheep and livestock as well. And the, the challenge with all of this, you know, is I'm, you know, I'm thinking about this dynamic between the brothers, that these brothers have had such a convoluted relationship their entire lives from you know, from Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat to, to now. And even in this moment when they, in a way, they should become, you know, on the same page, it didn't quite happen. Um, although, you know, we could also, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm projecting here, but I'm thinking a little bit about, you know, assimilation. And that Joseph, you know, you know, he's he's got this power and status, and he wants to be seen as as Egyptian as he can. And the brothers who do not yet have any sort of power or status are trying to more closely hold on to their identity. And I, what's I think very interesting is what happens next. So, uh, Steve, would you be willing to read? Uh, starting with uh, 
47 verse 5. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you going to put it back up on the screen? Oh, yeah. I Thanks. Mm -hmm. I scrolled up, but I forgot to reconnect. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, as regards your father and your brothers who have come to you, the land of Egypt is open before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them stay in the region of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So Joseph what's the reaction? Wait, hold on a second. What's the reaction from Pharaoh? Did he get upset that the, he, they brought shepherds in? No. There's no reaction from Pharaoh. And not only, no, it, it's a positive reaction, as Richard mentions. He's saying, oh, if you guys know what you're doing with the livestock, why don't you take over mine too? Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, I think about, you know, in our own lives, we can create an agita or an anxiety over something that we think is a really big deal, a cultural norm or a, a, a something going on in our life. And we think this is a really big deal. And guess what? Nobody cares. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nobody cares. We may think, you know, we may be the protagonists of our own story, but we're not the protagonists in everybody's story. And so a lot of the things that we think are such a crazy important thing often are not so important to anyone else. You know, I'm sure it happens to women too, but sometimes with men, you put on your pants in the morning and you, you missed your fly. And, and then you, you realize it and you're, you know, traumatized. Like how long was that open? And most of the time, no one noticed. And if they're a good friend, they'll tell you, hey, you know, fix your fly. But it's not the end of the world. The world did not come crashing down. I would not recommend doing it intentionally. That's a whole different story. But, um, but you know, you, know you, you have a, you know, a hair that was fly away. You know, your jewelry is sitting off center. And you look in the mirror and you say, oh, I'm not presented the way I want to be. And, and you can get so upset, you know, that the, you know, the, you know, your mascara is not lined up just right. It's the end of the world, especially if you're a teenager. But no one noticed. You were the only one that noticed. And if they did notice, they just said, oh, that happens to me sometimes too, and didn't think twice. So here, Joseph, who has worked so hard to get into this position, he's worried, you know, that are his brothers a liability for him? But what is Pharaoh's answer? This is the actual question. What's Pharaoh's answer? Can you help me? Can you help me? What can you do for me? So let's, let's keep reading. Joseph then brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob greeted Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked Jacob, how many are the years of your life? And Jacob answered Pharaoh, 
The years of my sojourn on earth are 130. Few and hard have been the years of my life, nor do they come up to the lifespans of my fathers during their sojourns. So let's stop there for a second. You know, this is an interesting vision. Like, how does Jacob think about his life? That he's lived a very short time and it's not been an easy life. Now, if we from the outside look at his life, so he's 130 years, he's got 12 sons and a daughter. He's. He doesn't um, have the daughter anymore. <laughs> you know, he's been, you know, yes, he had a very complicated, uh, you know, youth with his brother. He had complicated relationships with his his father-in-law. He had two wives and two concubines and incredible material success. But he lost his beloved Rachel. He lost the child of his favorite wife, you know, Joseph for for many years. And he he had you know he is not satisfied with all that he has. Richard. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the uh, John uh, the Robert Alter translation, and instead of greeted Pharaoh, he says blessed Pharaoh, both in uh, verse seven and also in verse ten. Verse ten says he bade Pharaoh farewell, but Alter says blessed Pharaoh. That's a big difference. Let's see. Yeah. So the, the, the Hebrew is, is blessed. Um, but I think the translation is acknowledging, you know, what does that mean in context? And so, you know, if I say to you, Shalom Aleichem, I'm saying, you know, peace, or, you know, or, or as our Muslim friends say, Salam Aleikum. I'm saying, you know, peace be upon you. That is a greeting. But what kind of greeting is it? It is a blessing. It's a blessing. So mm -hmm. I, I, I think, you know, Alter is, you know, is giving a technical answer. And the Jewish Publication Society is giving a less technical answer. But I think that when we, you know, when we look at the Hebrew and when we look at um, the, um, when we look at the Hebrew, when we look at that at the altar, we're getting a, a valence that is also important for us to recognize. And I think that, you know, it's a good reminder, every translation is an interpretation, every translation <laughs> is an interpretation, every reading is an interpretation. And I can guarantee that if we were sitting together in a room at, at the, you know, in the conference room at Federation, we would look at it a little bit different than sitting here on Zoom together. Yeah. Because the experience that, you know, we're looking eye to eye, in some ways we're closer together here than we are there, right? Because mm -hmm. if we were in the, in the Federation office, we're across the table from each other. Now I'm right in your face. <laughs> um, 
and the way we look at the text is different from from literally from where we sit. Um, so you know, it, so Jacob gives this blessing, this greeting to Pharaoh. Pharaoh asks him one question, and then Pharaoh, then Jacob goes, and then let's let's keep going. Uh, Jackie, do you want to read verse eleven? Um. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers, giving them holdings in the choicest part of the land of Egypt, in the region of Ramesses. And his father and his brothers and all his father's household with bread down to the little ones. Now, there was no bread in all the world, for the famine was very severe. Both the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. So I'll pause for a second. You know, we there may be, you know, a little exaggeration here. You know, when they're saying all the world, they're talking about all of the the world where we were, right? Yeah. So the Canaan, the land of Israel, and the land of Egypt. Um, I don't know that they knew what was going on in uh, North America at that moment. So, mm -hmm. so let's keep reading. Joseph gathered in all the money that was to be found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan as payments for the rations that were being procured. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's palace. And when the money gave out in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread, lest we die before your very eyes, for the money is gone. Okay, keep going. And Joseph said, bring your livestock, and I will sell to you against your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, for the stocks of sheep and cattle, and the asses. Thus he provided them with bread that year in exchange for all their livestock. So remember, so we had the seven good years, and 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 yeah. Joseph had stocked up everything for Paro, and ensured because, you know, like um, like many people. Um, you know, sometimes it can be hard to save for ourselves, but when we're forced into savings, <laughs> then then we remember. So um, the first year, Joseph is getting their money. Then he's getting their livestock. And then what happens next? And when that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we cannot hide from my Lord that with all the money and animal stocks, consigned to my Lord. Nothing is left at my Lord's disposal, save our persons and our farmland. Let us not perish before your eyes, both we and our land. Take us and our land in exchange for bread, and we with our land will be serfs to Pharaoh. Provide the seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become a waste. So Joseph gained possession of all the farmland of Egypt for Pharaoh, every Egyptian having sold his field because the famine was too much for them. Thus the land passed over to Pharaoh 
So now we've had a complete wealth transfer from the individual to the state. The state now has complete control. And now we're going even beyond their things and really the It becomes serf, serf, yeah. So Joseph gained possession of all of Where did you want me to start? So go to, uh, now verse 21. So now he's, now he's reimagining society altogether. And he moved the population town by town from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not take over, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotments which Pharaoh had made to them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Whereas I have at this day acquired you and your land for Pharaoh, here is seed for you to sow the land. And when harvest comes, you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be yours, as seed for the fields and as food for you and those in your households, and as nourishment for your children. So we've now had a complete economic redistribution. Yeah. It's a dictatorship. Although I have to say, I mean, 20% tax rate is not terrible. Uh, oh, uh, depends on how large your family is. <laughs> but the interesting thing here is, are they, you know, what is the reaction, uh, Leslie, if you go to verse 25, are they distraught that they have now become, you know, serfs to Pharaoh? It says, we are grateful to my Lord and we shall be serfs to Pharaoh. You have saved our lives. So Joseph makes this the law. Uh, and we have this interesting um, little note here, that this is the law even today. So from the time of the, you know, the Torah is coming together, they're saying even you know even now Pharaoh is still uh, in charge of Egypt and they have you know they they nobody's an owner operator of their farm they're not you know they're now really all related to the to Paro so you know in some ways it sets up you know when we get to the book of Exodus which is you know just in a couple of weeks and Paro is saying oh what about these Jews we're going to enslave them. Well, it's not that uh, they have so far to go because the entire population is already under, you know, Paro's administration. It's changing the, you know, the terms of the agreement, but it's not terribly different from the rest of Egyptian society. Hi. I'm Maxine Kaufman, Executive Director of the Jewish Federation of Florida's Gulf Coast, and I'm quickly interrupting this episode to tell you a bit about the organization that brings you the Parsha Pathways podcast. Welcome to the world of the Jewish Federation, where the Jewish values of compassion, charity, generosity, and responsibility inspire us to improve the quality of life for people in our community, in Israel, and around the world every day. It is time to meet the challenges of modern Jewish life, both at home and overseas, 
and to provide the financial resources needed to fund the many services, programs, and activities that are demanded of us to sustain and continue to grow a strong, vital, and vibrant Jewish life. Programs like Parsha Pathways are brought to you free of charge, but donations are always welcome. Visit jewishgulfcoast.org slash donate to learn more. And so the final line, Vayeshev Yisrael, Be'aretz Mitzrayim, Be'aretz Goshen, Ve'chazuva, Ve'efru, Ve'erbu Me'od. So meanwhile, Israel is settled in Egypt in this region of Goshen. And as opposed to everybody else, they do have some holdings with this. They have some property with this. And in the language, pru or vu, does anyone, does that uh, language sound familiar, pru or vu? So to be fertile and to increase, this comes all the way back from the beginning of Genesis, that what is what is our job, but to, you know, as human beings, I, I, to increase, to be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. That's the language here. It was the same words used in yeah. Genesis. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, it's also used in, in the start of Exodus, but there it then transitions into a negative because they've been fertile and they've multiplied, but, you know, they've multiplied like cockroaches and like insects and you know and that language you know well as a as a side note you know that language is used you know to dehumanize and to to other eyes to make different the israelites from the egyptians and that type of language of you know calling people insects is is one that you know that that tradition has continued for generations mm -hmm. that's the same language that the nazis used against the jews that's the it's same language of, that, it's kind of asemitic but and it's not just it's not just used against jews um although it has often been used against jews but it's often used against refugees and mm -hmm. immigrants all around the world of you know they're not human beings they you know they they are a team of multitudes and and they're swarming across the border um it was also the attitude of uh the german jews who had come here before the 20th century for those from the Pol poland and stuff uh as well as a lot of the new york jews were descendants of Sephardi from Spain, and the Lazarus for one. So, and they had the same reaction against these uh, refugees from pogroms. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, a generation earlier, there was the same reaction against the German Jews from the, you know, the Irish and that had been there, you know, a little bit earlier. And before that, the, the, the the German, um, you know, the, and the Anglo-Saxon against the Irish, you know, yeah. and you know the generation before that. Um, it's it's hatred, no matter where where it comes. I think the only place 
where it did not exist totally was in Rhode Island, which was welcomed everybody yeah. in colonial times, that is. I can't speak with That's authority not, on that. Oh, but. No, I can't either, but I can tell you this. Roger Williams was not welcome there. He had to leave because he was considered a re, um, uh, an apostate, a mm. renegade. They kicked him out. In Pennsylvania, you know, with William Penn was, was you know, with the Quakers and, and others was known to be a little more open. But I, you know, I know in, you know, I remember when I was a kid going to Colonial Williamsburg and, you know, in Colonial Williamsburg, initially you had to, you know, if you were to be an elected official, you had to swear that you were a good Christian. And, um, and had to. It actually had to be more than that. You had to be a member of the Church of England. And it took some time before Jews were allowed to be, you know, represented in the House of Delegates. Um, Bev? Um, I just have a question. I do not read Hebrew. Would you translate the first line of 27, thus Israel? What does it say in it? In... I should. So Vayeshev is to to sit, but you know the uh, Shev is to sit. So Vayeshev is, and they sat, but it it doesn't just mean sit down like on a chair. In this case, it the form of the verb means to to settle down there. So, so it Vayeshev, doesn't say it doesn't say anything about Israel. That's my question. Oh, no, yes, Vayeshev, it does. It the does. second word is Israel. Is, okay. So the the verb order is backwards. I mean, okay. not backwards. Here the the verb comes before the subject, right. so settled okay. Israel in Eretz Mitzrayim in the land of Egypt, in Eretz Goshen in the land of Goshen. Okay, so you've answered my question. Are they talking about Israel, otherwise known as Jacob, or are they talking about something else? So I think that is a great question. Oh, great. <laughs> Thank you. Over the course of this parsha, and since Jacob's initial name change, he's gone back and forth between Jacob and Israel a whole bunch of times. Um, you know, even in this little section, um, go back up to when he was talking to um, Paro. You know, it was. No, they used Yaakov. They used Yaakov. It was Yaakov there, but before he comes in, he was Israel again. Um, you know, one of the things I find very powerful in, in this interaction is that you know what are we eventually getting to? You know that Israel is not just Jacob slash Israel the person, but that Israel is becoming the nation of Israel in really in this parsha. And, and into the next one, that Thank the you. brothers are now becoming, you know, one people. And that's a big deal. That's Maxine. So, I mean, you can tell by the, the pronouns, because it says in Israel and they, and this is long before the time when we use they as a pronoun for a singular person. So 
in my mind, it's it's clear that it's the people of Israel, not just Jacob. Yeah. Go back. Thank you. Yeah, these are these are all vayifru vayirbu are all plural verbs. It's not that Israel as an individual was fruitful and multiplying, although we do know, you know, he was, you know, got, you know, got 13 kids. That's, that's fairly fruitful. Um, um, but to me, really, the, the, the most important piece of Jacob and Israel's relationship, or Jacob and Abraham and Isaac is, you know, Abraham has, who are Abraham's kids? Isaac and Esau. Isaac and Ishmael. Um, but who inherits the tradition? It's really just Isaac. Yeah. And then Isaac has, now we get Esau. Esau and? Yaakov. And Yaakov. And who inherits the tradition? Yaakov. Yaakov. But then the next time around, Yaakov has um, all of these children and um, instead of just one, it is all of them. So I wanna, my, one of my favorite uh, Midrashim, hang on, let me pull it up. Even though Yaakov has many children, it's really uh, Yosef that inherits the um, tradition. No. That... no, no, no. Uh, Judah. Oh, uh, Reuben has an affair with one of the concubines. Uh, Shimon and Levi are both uh, instigators of a slaughter that uh, Yaakov is somewhat upset by, even though he gains from it. But Judah admits the guilt of the brothers. He takes the responsibility. I think he is the one who really inherits. Okay. Am I wrong, Rabbi? So I would argue with you. Okay, good. <laughs> because to me, the big difference here is that they all inherit. Um, yeah. and so I want to, so I'm going to jump ahead to, um, to next week's Parsha for a moment, but I'm going to look at the Shema. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So let me share my screen again. So this is from. Devarim Rabbah, Deuteronomy Rabbah, a midrash on Deuteronomy, and the mid, it's a midrash on Shema. So it says, Devar Acher, another idea, they were talking about some other things, Shema Yisrael. Mehechan zechu Yisrael lekriyat Shema, where did Israel merit the, the, the recitation of Shema? Misha'a shenata Yaakov lamita, at the time that Jacob was on the bed getting ready to die, he, he gets all the tribes, all of his sons together, all of his children. He says to them, Shema, 
Misha ani niftar, the time when I die, min haolam, when I'm no longer in this world, atem mishtachavim leolach achar. You are going to bow down to, you know, to other, other powers. You know, maybe, I hope not, but I'm afraid that I'm not here. We're living in the land of Egypt. You're going to, to go bow to other gods. And so minayin shkach kativ, and the Torah writes this in Reshit uh, 49, in Genesis 49, that he brought them all together gather and listen to the sons. So, Mahu, what's this listen about? Vishimu el Yisrael, Avicham, listen to your father, Israel. Amar lahan, El Yisrael, Avicham, who? The God of Israel is your father. And they say to him, in response to, like he's saying, I'm scared that you guys aren't going to be Jews anymore because you're, you know, you're happy and rich in, in Egypt. And they say to him, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Achad. You know, pay attention, Israel. Adonai Eloheinu, the God of Israel, is our God. And God is one. And he responds to them, Bechu Omer, Belachisha, Quietly in a whisper, praised is God, God's kingship forever and ever. You know, and, and what do we say when we say Shema? We say the same line. We you know, and we say it in a whisper. And Amar Rabbi Levi, Rabbi Levi said, what does Israel say today? Shema Avinu Yisrael Oto Hadavar, that like, pay attention, all of us, to our, our ancestor Israel, that the same thing that you commanded to us, Shetzivanu, Nohegbanu, we command to our children, we share with our children, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And I, I love that Midrash so much. Because one, I like the Shema, we say it all the time. But it gives the Shema a whole new meaning because most of the time we think of the Shema as talking to us and reminding us that God is our God and that God is one. But we can also use it, you know, in the opposite to remind the people Israel and, and, and Israel himself, Jacob, that no matter what generation we are, we still have in our hearts that God is part of us and we are part of God and that there is no other. And for me that, you know, the real blessing of Jacob of Israel is that finally he figured out how to teach all of his children to accept what it means to be a Yid, what it means to be a Jew. And that for all this time before it was, you know, the, the part that kills me more than any other in the, in the Torah is the moment when Esau realizes, you know, that, that Jacob got the blessing. And he says to his father, you know, don't you have a blessing for me? 
And I kind of want to, you know, like freeze time in that moment and say, Isaac, figure out this a better blessing here. Don't divide. Don't say it's just for, you know, for, for Jacob. You know, what would the world have looked like if instead of Esau being, you know, this opponent, he was an ally from the beginning? Now we don't, you know, it would have changed everything. Jacob wouldn't have gone to flee to find Levan and to find Rebecca, you know, to, to find Sarah, I to try that again, to find Rachel and Leah. You know, but then would he would would Jacob have had a less adversarial relationship with with Levan if he didn't have the adversarial relationship with Esau? Mm-hmm. You know, what does the world look like when we see everyone as ad, as an adversary versus everyone as a potential ally? It's a more peaceful world, a, a happier one. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that for everyone in the world. Okay, everyone freeze. Let's stop fighting with each other. <laughs> you know, can we work together? If you had the power to do that, wouldn't you? If we all had the power to do that, wouldn't it be a marvelous world? You know, it, you know, it drives me, you know, I think like many people, you know, I elect people to to the Florida House and the Florida Senate and the state, you know, the federal house and the federal Senate. And I don't care what party they are. I hope that they can work for the good of the country. And I think for the last you know, number of years, it's felt a lot of times like a win for one party is a loss for the other. And that's to me is we're all missing the point here because a win should be for the good of the country and the good for all the people. And it shouldn't be, you know, I only talk to my constituents if they voted for me. Um, I, would vote, I would vote for you. <laughs> I'm not right. But, uh, but, but one person cannot make the difference, I fear in a country that has become so divided. So the argument that I have is twofold. One is that one person has always made the difference. Um, I think Margaret Mead said that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other piece is you know, that we have to believe it's possible is another piece. And I know I said two things, but a third thing mm-hmm. is that as much as I, th- you know, I have this conversation on a regular basis with people and that I think for a lot of people, they think this is a, the worst it's ever been. And I argue it ain't. I think it's better than it's almost ever been. You know, that if we look at our history, you know, look right before the Civil War, you had senators literally beating the crap out of other senators on the floor of the Senate. You know, you go back to the Revolutionary War, 
and you had, you know, right afterwards, what a, you know, Thomas Jefferson is the vice president of Adams and he runs against him. And they had, you know, in the campaign, they're talking about, you know, we talk about Sally as if that was a, a new revelation recently that, you know, Jefferson was sleeping with his slaves. They knew and they put it in the newspaper and they said, how do you, you want someone who's, I mean, they did it in more racist terms, but they were go arguing against Jefferson that he couldn't keep it in his pants back then. And we, you know, we think this is an, you know, that dirty campaigning is a new thing. You know, I've got thoughts about the internet and 24 hour news that we can leave for another time. Um, but the fact is, we've been saying nasty things about people for a very, very long time. Why do you think the Jewish community has entire books on not saying nasty things? Because people were saying nasty things. I mean, I think one of the real, you know, the teachings of the Chafetz Chaim, you know, is this reminder that we need to try to speak more kindly and compassionately about one another. But there's, you know, one of the things that I, I always remember is if I know that if I'm in a room full of, you know, I'll, I'll go both ways. If I'm in a room full of right-wing radical Republicans and I talk about how Obama was the best thing since sliced bread, or if I'm in a room of, you know, more liberal Democrats, and I talk about how, you know, Trump was the best thing to, you know, for the country in, in you know, in, in hundreds of years of presidential history. Um, even though I said something positive, the reaction is not going to be positive. And so we have to think about, even when we say something positive, we have to think about the context. Because if I'm leading someone to say something negative, well, I had my finger in that. It doesn't mean there aren't times when you should say something negative because for the good of the country, for the good of a marriage, for the good of a business, you know, there are times when you have to say something, you know, you have a friend that's gonna go into business with a crook and you know they're a crook, you have a, you have a responsibility to tell them that this person has, you know, cheated their last three business partners. If you're, you know, if, if you're, if your, you know, best friend is getting married to someone who has stolen money from their last three spouses, you know, you're not going to put a newspaper advertisement out that this person's a crook, but you have a responsibility to tell your friend, look, you may not want to hear this, but you should know that this person's history is not great. And our tradition, you know, as much as it says, you know, don't spread gossip about people, there are certain times when you need to, you know, that information can make the difference for somebody in a really important way. Um, but we've, I, we've, we've gone on a tangent. <laughs> yes. So I want to, you know, take us back to, to Joseph and to Jacob and to Israel. And to me, the really powerful part of this narrative, of this back and forth that Joseph and his brothers have, 
is that in this week's Parsha, they do embrace each other again. And then Jacob is able to embrace them all again. And then, you know, in next week's Parsha, they can tell their father, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, you know, all of us, not one of us, not Joseph, not Binyamin, not Judah alone, not Ruvain alone, not Issachar alone. I'm, I'm going to stop before I forget, miss some tribes. Um, mm. but all of us are the children. All of us are inheriting. And what does Jacob do? He gives every one of his sons a blessing. Now, some of those blessings are a little awkward, but he gives all of them a blessing. And that is what, you know, what we need today. So I have to say, Richard, um, you had you had the altar translation before? Yes. Yes. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll bring us back to that. Let our greetings be blessings. Let our greetings be blessings in all of our interactions. And I think that is a good place to, to, to stop. Shalom Shalom. Thank you very much, Rabbi. That was great. Yes. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Parsha Pathways. We hope that this episode filled your heart, mind, and soul with Jewish wisdom. Don't forget to stop by jewishgulfcoast.org to explore everything that the Federation has to offer. And we look forward to bringing you next week's Parsha. Shabbat Shalom.